This is EIG Community Connection with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Hey friends, welcome to EIG Community Connection. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach at Allen Becker Investment Group. Purpose, passion, and inspiration. These are three things we bring to this show. Our purpose is education, and our passion is outreach. We meet and talk with wonderful people who are using their purpose and passion to make a difference in our community, which in turn can inspire others to do the same. The other day, my daughter woke up with a fever, congestion, and a sore throat, and she called the doctor, made an appointment to be seen later that day, picked up her prescription afterwards, and was able to get started with the healing process. But what about the almost 17,000 uninsured people in Waukesha County that can't do that? What do they do? Today, we're going to learn about an organization that is closing the gap between rising health care costs and the growing medical needs by offering a free service to the community. And then, if you know a child who has experienced some form of loss through death, divorce, or abandonment, we'll meet a woman who will share how she can help heal their heart. My first guest is Jessica Ozenbruge. Executive Director of St. Joseph's Medical Clinic in Waukesha, and she is joined by Kirsten Gonzalez, the Marketing Director of St. Joseph's. Thank you, ladies, for being here with us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. We're excited to talk about St. Joseph's and uh, the connection between Ellen Becker. Well, we're absolutely glad that you're here. Um, Jessica, when I first met you, uh, you, you told me about your change in your career from the financial industry to the nonprofit world. And it was very inspirational, very passionate. Uh, it, was, it was a message that I think a lot of people would like to hear. Can you share that with us? Sure, I'd be happy to. And I just would like to say thank you so much. Uh, we are both honored to be here uh, today. You're very welcome. So I was a person who was in New York City on the day of September 11th. I was born and raised in West Bend, Wisconsin, uh, and by the age of 22, I moved to New York City, and uh, a couple years later is when September 11th happened. Mm. I was working in the financial industry. I was on my way to work. I was not a person who was in the tower, Okay. but I was a person who, I was on the subway uh, going to work that morning. And, and experienced got, everything that was going on. Yes. Know, obviously, yeah. I got held up in the train station right by the World Trade Center, not knowing what was going on. Mm. And it became very scary down there. Um, So many people who were in the train car, we had no knowledge of what was occurring. Mm. Um, We could hear a lot of noise. Uh, The lights were going on and off, and there was a lot of panic. Um, Eventually, what occurred was that the train left the station and it sped out of the whole World Trade Center area and actually stopped at the stop that I normally would have gotten off at, which was 23rd Street. Okay. Uh, right by the iconic uh, Flatiron building, uh, oh, as you yes. see mm-hmm, on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was at that juncture that I was able to get out of the subway station and I was at the juncture of 23rd Street and Broadway looking downtown and saw immediately the second, uh, what appeared to be a fireball uh, coming out of the World Trade Center. I didn't know initially that it was a, um, that it was an airplane. I can't, I can't even imagine. I mean, the chaos that must have been all around you at that time, you know, and the being Absolutely. scared. And, 
Um, and it was everywhere. It was across this nation. But being in New York City on that uh, specific day, I was 24 years old. Mm-hmm. And throughout my day, there were moments where I thought, this may be it for me today. Mm-hmm. There was so much panic. There was so much chaos when the buildings came down. There was so much uh, fear. There was so much people running around, everybody screaming and shrieking. It was that collective panic and nobody knew where to go or mm. what to do. Yeah. So that was just my experience on the day. Mm. Eventually that day, I made it home. Thank God. Yes. Yeah. And to this day, I still remember when I made it home and I listened to my phone messages. I still have the memory. It's so hard in my heart of my parents trying to call me at home and warning me mm-hmm. and how hard that has been to remember that. Yeah. But I made it home. And I was able to call my parents, and everybody was just overjoyed that I made it home. Absolutely, yeah. It was on September 12th, and talking with my parents, that I learned about another Wisconsinite, a fellow West Bender by the name of Andrea Lynn Haberman, who was missing uh, at that time. I was asked, do I know her? Have I ever come across her? Did we go to school together? Mm-hmm. It turns out that we were actually two girls the same age who grew up five miles apart, but we never knew each other in life. Isn't that something? It is. And on September 12th, she was missing. And after talking with my family, um, I decided I needed to go look for her. Mm. I needed to go and help. So many people across this nation wanted to help. Right. Just ordinary people wanted to come together. New Yorkers wanted to come together, and everybody wanted to help in some way, even amidst all of this fear, this panic, this destruction. Absolutely. And they, I'm sure they welcomed and needed all that help because, my goodness, there was so much unknown. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So I contacted the Milwaukee news station and said, I'm a fellow West Bender in Wisconsinite. I've learned about Andrea Lynn Haberman. I want to help and I want to go look for her. I don't know her, but I need to help and I need to do this. Mm -hmm. So it was afterwards that I received her bio stat sheet and all these things so that I could go and look for her. And my plan of action was to go into the city, search the hospitals. There was a uh, portion of the city where families and loved ones were meeting with law enforcement the FBI, Port Authority, NYPD is kind of a staging area of how do we get all this information out? How do we talk about um, how we help each other, how we find the missing uh, individuals? Mm -hmm. At that time, nobody really had it in their mind that anybody who was in the World Trade Center, that they probably maybe didn't make it, but um, we wanted to come together and, and help. And in that process, in my search for Andrea, I saw the coming together of not only the law enforcement, but rescue crews, as well as so many nonprofits Mm. that were that were there. Mm -hmm. I remember distinctly standing in the long line uh, to a facility 
where we had to file the missing persons. And it was a very strange thing for me to file a missing persons report on somebody I didn't even know. Right. But the nonprofits were out there. And what were they doing? They were talking to us. They were counseling us. They were passing out water. They were passing out snacks. Mm -hmm. They were allowing us to uh, cry on their shoulders. They were allowing us to talk about um, our shock, our... Um, grief and this incredible disbelief in these days ensuing. And how wonderful for Andrea's parents to know that you were there uh, helping them uh, find out information about their daughter. Because I can only imagine from a parental standpoint, just the the big question mark, not knowing. And were were the parents able to come out and um, come out to New York and, and do anything on their own? Or were they solely relying on you uh, to be the, the person out there searching and, and looking. Eventually, the parents didn't uh, uh, come out. Gordon and Kathy uh, were able to, to come out to the city. What had happened initially is that then Mayor Giuliani had kind of closed down the city. So anybody okay. who was outside the city couldn't get in, but I was already inside. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had the ability to kind of go around and do this search and do some of this legwork. Uh, for them. Um, At the time, I was working in the uh, financial uh, industry. My employer was super fantastic in uh, saying, Jessica, you got to do this. You got to help out. I took a little time off until the family was able uh, to to get in to the city and continue some of that process. Um, But I also continued it with them. But it was really this experience... uh, um, really has taught me a lot of things. It's something that still sits with me very deeply today. I imagine. Um, it's it's something that I think about off and on uh, throughout my whole life and how things have evolved all these years later. But what I saw was this incredible community of ordinary people who were coming together to do extraordinary things, mm-hmm. to help out people and um, even in my own search, I was very almost kind of myopic in, in my viewpoint in, in that I had this vision of finding Andrea. Mm-hmm. And I thought even if she is laying in a hospital bed and every bone is broken and she's hurting, I really had this vision of wanting to find her. Mm-hmm. I was going to hold her hand and tell her, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. You're not alone. And I am here, and I'm going to stay here until your loved ones can get here, and I'm not going to leave you alone. Yeah. And that has always um, sat very heavy with me. It's probably a lot heavier with me than most people really realize. But what I really felt was this true sense of everybody coming together, and it was that was really kind of the foundation for me of – really realizing, you know what, I think I may want to switch into a different career path, that I really want to get into nonprofits. How can you be an effective um, leader in your community? How can you help people? How can you always be in that position to remind people you're not alone? Mm. And everybody needs that. I mean, that's so fantastic that you, you determined that early on in life. I mean, a lot of people don't don't have that opportunity to realize that until later on. And to realize that at 24 yes. is really something. And I applaud you for, for 
realizing, recognizing that and wanting to, to make a total change. Again, you, you were in the financial industry and just made a total change. And, and that's when St. Joseph's came into your life? Yes. Um, so in my change, I did some volunteer work for some nonprofit organizations, but I also thought about so much of the healthcare consequences during uh, September 11th and um, just got, it, got into healthcare. And that's how I got into the free and charitable clinic world. And I commenced my service with St. Joseph's Medical Clinic about June 1st of, of 2015. I'd been with a different free clinic prior uh, to that. But it still is that same uh, emotional, maybe at times, quest. And we have patients who come in through our doors who come in, they're scared. They have not seen a doctor in a long time. Um, They haven't taken their medications in a long time. They don't know what to do about their conditions. And they just need somebody to talk to. Mm. And so... I've always approached St. Joseph's Medical Clinics and the community members that we're serving that we're here to help you with your medical care. We're here to talk to you about your health conditions. We're here to let you know you're not alone in this, Yeah, that we're together in this. That's wonderful. You know, just the idea of the uh, free and charitable clinics. We, we know that there are over 1,200 nationwide who provide an estimated 5 million plus visits annually, which is really something. Uh, We're going to break for a little bit and then come back and hear from Kirsten. Um, But my question for you is how many free and charitable clinics are there in the state of Wisconsin? We'll be back in a moment. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG Community Connection with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and we just heard from Jessica Osenbruga and her incredible story of why she does what she does. Thank you for sharing that again, Jessica. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, Before the break, I mentioned that there are over 1,200 free and charitable clinics nationwide that step up to help individuals who find themselves either under or uninsured. And I asked how many free and charitable clinics there are in the state of Wisconsin, and the answer is just under 100. 96 to be exact. Wow, that's that's wonderful that we offer a place to go to help. Um, but we want to learn more about St. Joseph's. Uh, so, Kirsten, if you can tell us a little bit about what the mission is. Definitely. Well, um, being one of the almost 100 free, free and charitable clinics in the state of Wisconsin, our mission at St. Joseph's is to um, care for the health and well-being of the whole individual. Um reaching out to our uninsured and underinsured neighbors to ensure that they're healthy, not only physically, um, but mentally and emotionally as well, and connecting them to those resources in the community. Um, We're part of what's called a safety net network, um, which really connects people to the resources in the community that help keep them safe all around. So you Um, have connections with um, like mental health organizations, that type of thing? We do. So we do offer some mental health services within our clinic, but are looking to expand um, by the use of community partners. And I'm really excited in, in the future to get additional funding to bring in mental health providers um, um, and other providers in specialty areas. We currently serve our patients um, with once monthly clinics in women's health, as well as podiatry and physical therapy, but are looking, always looking to expand that programming. Okay. And didn't, uh, didn't I learn when we talked uh, before that you guys take uh, one, either once a month or once a week where you're at the women's center? 
out in Waukesha or? No, we actually, um, we have a women's health clinic once a month, um, but we actually received fun- funding for the first time this year for the Women's and Girls Fund okay, in Waukesha. Sure. Okay. And we are so proud of that partnership because it really allowed us to expand um, that women's health clinic and offer so many more services and actually double the amount of patients that we see in that clinic. Okay. So, yeah. so what types of programs specifically um, does St. Joseph's provide? So an individual calls you and they have a need and you don't know exactly what it is, but you, you're assuming maybe initially it's a, in a, a medical issue, but perhaps not, then what happens from there? Sure. So Jill, just to, just to back up just for a moment, um, what uh, we actually do, just to talk a little bit about our programs, is actually we are at the Hope Center uh, once a month. Uh, we have a homeless outreach program at St. Joseph's Medical Clinic. So I'll talk a little bit about that before I get into the primary okay. care Okay, uh, so it was session. the Hope Center and not the Women's Center, which yeah. is right across the street. So I was close anyway, yeah. right? <laughs> but we do collaborate with the Women's Center, that's okay. for sure. All right. So uh, we have a homeless outreach program as part of the St. Joseph's Medical Clinic. And what, is, what does this really entail? We have a RN medical case manager that is out in the field working with individuals and families who are homeless or at risk of homelessness. And that individual is really fielding the health questions, triaging their health issues, trying to figure out what are their next steps in in, in their uh, in the quest of, of their health and trying to understand have we skipped taking medications? Are we unable to access medications? Have they not seen a doctor in a long time? This is really what that triage process is really about in that homeless outreach program. Okay. And then connecting that person to housing, particularly if they're homeless. So this is one of our many programs at St. Joseph's Medical Clinic. Our basic uh, program is that we offer three primary care sessions throughout the week. So that's Monday and Thursday evenings and Wednesday mornings. So this is an opportunity for community members to walk in uh, to the clinic or they can make an appointment, come into the clinic and see a doctor. Okay. And so many may have not seen a doctor in a really long time. It may be have been years. They come in and they may feel, you know, I have a cough or I feel a little bit fatigued, but Oftentimes, we find out that they've got some chronic health conditions that they were either unaware of or if they were aware of them, they just couldn't do anything about it Mm -hmm. because they couldn't access a doctor and all the services. So our primary care sessions are run by volunteer doctors, MDs, physician assistants, as well as volunteer nurses, and they are doing the basic health exam, the triage, trying to figure out what what is going on for the patient. Um, Everything that you would expect when you go into a regular uh, doctor's office, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that those providers are are sitting down and assessing the patient and deciding what's the next steps. Do we need some lab tests? Do we need some diagnostic testing? Uh, Do we need to get some medications? These kinds of things. So it runs all just like a regular clinic as you and I may, may go to. Well, the um, you said that they're all volunteer. My question is, you know, how how can we afford to do this? You know, how are these programs funded? So the doctors, the nurses, they're volunteers. Which shout out to them because that's fantastic. <laughs> um, but but what about other costs? 
Yeah, we've been very fortunate to have such great partnership with so many physicians and care providers in the area, as well as so many volunteers. Um, but like you said, that only goes so far. There are costs associated with providing the, that care. Um, and we are very fortunate to, again, partner with um, other organizations in the community that have been so generous with grant funding, um, as well as um, just support. We partner with the city of the county of Waukesha for medic- medical assistant funding medication assistance. Um, So getting those patients the medications that they so desperately need that the clinic may not be able to offer on their own. Um, Another huge way that we fund these services is through our gala every year. Um, It's actually coming up on September 29th, um, and we'd love for all of you to be a part of that. And there's definitely more information on that on our website and on our Facebook. So definitely keep an eye out for that. that's in September. Yeah, everybody loves a gala. Yeah, Yeah, and this one's especially (laughs) fun. We try to keep it fun with themes, and um, everybody gets pretty into it dressing up. And this year we're going wild. Wild Wild West themed. Oh, okay. so we'd love to see you guys yeah. out in your cowboy boots and go. dress for the for the theme. <laughs> <laughs> and that's September, you said September twenty ninth. Yep. Okay. So we have a little bit of time, um, but we're already out asking for donations to the community. I'm um, getting really excited about the planning for that and looking forward to celebrating all the hard work that our doctors and volunteers and staff are doing over the year to keep our patients healthy. Absolutely. So. Um, how does the clinic reduce overall health care costs to the community? Again, we're talking about donations and the, um, the medical professionals provide their, their time free, which is wonderful. Um, yeah, but by seeing those over 700 patients every year, we're also reducing emergency room visits. Okay, um, a, sure. a lot of chronic health conditions are addressed in our clinics as well. So hypertension, diabetes control, um, a lot of these things that go on kind of untreated when you have huge problems in your life like financial crisis or homelessness, those things kind of fall to the back burner. Um, and you may end up in the emergency room if those things aren't treated. So having good regular care, I think, is an important part of everyday health. And so getting our community the care that they need really kind of of um, boosts our health systems in that way by really keeping our community more healthy. Well, and we jump on the prevention bandwagon, Definitely, right? You know, yeah. everybody talks about prevention uh, to keep healthcare costs down. You said exactly. over 700 Yes, we served? saw over 700 patients in the last year, which is way up from our previous years. Um, so the need is definitely there and it's growing in our population. We see that with um, health insurance changing and tax reform. Those are um, huge issues in our country and we are so grateful to be there and to be an advocate and be a support system for those people, no matter what your case is, if it's due to insurance loss from job loss, or if mm-hmm. it's um, you haven't had insurance in quite a while, just simply because of the cost of paying for it is too much. We're definitely there to support people and even help them to apply for insurance um, through the state or ever, any other means we can help them make possible. Well, and that, that kind of leads to my next question. How can a community member get access to St. Joseph's Medical Clinic? So they somebody just, they call up, they say, uh, like my daughter I mentioned earlier, she just called her doctor. We kind of take that for granted, right? We just say, I have oh, a cold, I have the sniffles, I'm just going to call and make an appointment, get some medication out the door, and you start experiencing uh, you know, the steps to, to wellness again. But how would somebody go through that process with St. Joseph's? Sure. So usually the way that patients connect to us is through referrals. St. Joseph's Medical Clinic has amazing partnerships with so many health and human service entities in Waukesha County that they may refer the patient uh, to us. Oftentimes, uh, as is the case with a lot of grassroots nonprofits, it's word of mouth. 
uh, people hear about us. They connect with us through social media. They connect uh, through us uh, through Facebook. Okay. Um, one of the uh, aspects of our clinic that actually allows us to reduce costs is that in 2016, we built what's called our Continuity of Care program. Okay. And through that program, we have a marvelous and beautiful relationship with Pro Healthcare. Waukesha Family Practice Center, Waukesha Family Medicine Residency. And what that really allows us as a free clinic is it allows us as a free clinic to transform from a clinic that's providing that kind of acute episodic care to more of the comprehensive care from a multidisciplinary approach because now we have provider types of all different kinds along with medical residents that are working alongside our seasoned volunteers to provide that comprehensive, holistic care to our patients. Wow, that's fantastic. That's that's wonderful, the work that you guys are doing. Um, we've run out of time, unfortunately. So what I would like to make sure we do is uh, to have you share with our listeners uh, contact information. If, if somebody wants to get involved from a volunteer standpoint or if they uh, are in need of care in some way, how, how would they contact you? Definitely. Well, the best one of the best ways to get a hold of us and get updated information is either through our website, which is, which is www.sjmdc.net, um, and, or going by just contacting us through our Facebook, um, which is just St. Joseph's Medical Clinic in Waukesha. Um, we tend to update that pretty regularly and are able to share information um, pretty easily that way. And we can get further information on that Western Gala that's coming up in yes. September on the Facebook page? <laughs> Definitely. Okay, wonderful. Well, I, I want to thank you both, Jessica and Kirsten, for being here, and thank you for the work that you're doing. It's wonderful. Uh, we just we just heard about a number of different ways that St. Joseph's Medical Clinic helps an individual who may be struggling with a health and wellness perspective, but they also reach out and collaborate with organizations in other areas as well. When we get back, we're going to hear about an organization whose mission is to provide support and healing to children suffering from loss. Stay tuned to learn more. You're listening to EIG Community Connection with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to the EIG Community Connection. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm the Director of Community Outreach at Ellen Becker Investment Group. My next guest is from an organization that provides peer support programs for children and significant adults in their lives who are dealing with grief. I welcome to the show Chris Beck, who is the Executive Director of Healing Hearts of Waukesha County. Thanks, Jill. It's a pleasure to be here. Welcome. There's a statistic out there that says that 77% of Americans' children live in families shaped by loss from death, divorce, separation, or abandonment. That just breaks my heart. You know, we've talked so much on the show about caring for the children we've been blessed with, right? Mm-hmm. So that statistic is staggering, but it makes you just want to love on all those kids in that situation, right? Is that why you got involved in Healing Hearts, Chris? Um, I got involved in Healing Hearts for a couple of reasons. One was I was a teacher in the Waukesha School District for 39 years, and the other was um, Uh, Well, I retired in in 2011, and I'm married to a dentist. Oh, okay. uh, I think we've all been to Is that a good thing? Well, it can (laughs) be a very good thing. Um, My my Jimmy is a talker. He's one of those dentists, when you're in the chair, he asks you questions. And you can't 
can't so, respond. No. <laughs> but the woman who was in his chair was Catherine Kuhn, and she's the woman who started Healing Hearts of Waukesha County. Okay. And when he found out about what she was doing, he thought maybe that would be something that I would be interested in at my retirement. And he was right. Okay. So Catherine called me, and that's how I really got involved. And your background as a teacher, yes. uh, what grade did you teach? I was always in high school. Okay. Uh, I was uh, largely juniors and seniors in high school, and uh, I taught at each of the, the high schools in Waukesha County. Okay, and we were talking before a little bit about how uh, oftentimes when children experience uh, loss of some kind, mm-hmm. this, the other students obviously don't know. But sometimes they do, and sometimes the family, for whatever reason, doesn't want um, people to be aware of what the nature of the loss was, or that there was a death, or probably most often there was a suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, so they keep it quiet. Uh, as a teacher, I always knew, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't feel that I could. I didn't feel like I knew what to say. Sure, yeah. uh, you don't want to go up and say, "Oh, I'm." I'm so sorry that your brother died mm-hmm. it, uh, because you're afraid that you're going to reopen a wound. Sure, yeah, so. yeah. So, so how does Healing Hearts help exactly? They step in and, and how? what do they do for the children? I think the, the most, the, what we really do for kids is we provide them an opportunity to talk with other kids who've gone through similar mm-hmm. things. And just in the sharing of their own grief, um, they reduce their grief. It, it's quite revelatory for kids sometimes to find out that other families are going through a divorce yeah, or other families have had someone die of a heroin overdose. Because oftentimes I would guess they feel like nobody understands because nobody right. has been in that situation. And a kid doesn't want to be unique uh, mm. in, in school. They don't want to stand out. They want to go with the flow. And so... Um, that they they tend to not be able to talk about it in a school setting or with their friends. Or their friends think, well, your dad died three months ago. You should be over that now. Sure, and, yeah. And that's not the way it goes. It's yeah. not the way it works. Yeah, it's it's all in our own timing. Mm-hmm. I know when I lost my father, I, had, I was working for an organization that said, you know, th- that happens. Uh, that's part of life. Mm-hmm. And yes, we know that is, but it it's still, it's different for everybody that goes through it. You know, people telling me you should be over this by now, you should be, yeah. you know, working through it. And it's, it's not always that easy. So Healing Hearts steps in from us, from that support, that peer to peer aspect, which is really crucial, I imagine, for children. I think it's very crucial. In, in our, in Healing Hearts, when we talk about grief, uh, we're not just talking about death. We're talking about divorce, incarceration, abandonment, separation, uh, all of those things that make kids unhappy, make them grieve. And um, so we put them in groups. We put our children into age groups. So, for example, if you came to Healing Hearts, the children ages um, six and seven are together. Ages eight and nine are together. Nine and ten, or ten and eleven, so that we go from ages four through eighteen, but the children are all divided according to their ages. Um, at the same time, we encourage the adults who care for them to to join a peer group as well. But the adults are divided according to the nature of the loss. So, okay. for example, the adults um, 
who have a death are together. The adults who have a, a divorce are together in a group. And right now, um, I think as a very important reflection of what's going on in our community, the our largest group is grandmothers who are raising their grandchildren mm. because their own children are either dead, incarcerated, or incapable because of heroin. Well, and I was going to ask that because mm-hmm. of this opioid struggle that we deal with, and yeah. it's just so much, there's so much of an awareness of it, which is, is a good thing, the awareness anyway. Um, are you finding that there are more kids in that area that are having to deal with that? Yes, I would say. Now, I've been, Healing Hearts has been in existence for eight years, but I've been with Healing Hearts for seven years. Okay. And in that, over that period of time, I've really seen changes in the kinds of grief that are bringing families to us. In the beginning, my first years, it was largely grand, a death of a grandparent or something of that nature. Death of a parent, death of a grandparent, uh, and perhaps a divorce. Um, but now it's almost, uh, it seems like just about everyone who's coming to us is coming to us because of a drug issue. Hmm. Um, That's that so sad. The, yeah. We just, if you can imagine this, we just have our first family who's coming to us uh, because the great-grandmother is raising the children. So this story behind the children is we have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old, and their mother died in December of 2015 mm. of a heroin overdose. Oh, my. So the kids then were taken care of by the grandmother because the fathers of the two children were gone, abandoned okay. them. And then the grandmother died in May of 2017 last year, because of a heroin overdose. Oh, my goodness. So now we have two boys, and I think our big mission is try to prevent them from going down that same path. Right, right. Wow. You shared with me that one in seven Americans lose a parent or a sibling mm-hmm. to death before they reach the age of 20. Yeah. I mean, I was 21 when I lost my dad, mm-hmm. and that was terrible. It was devastating. But it's difficult at any age, we realize, but I can only imagine how difficult it is for a child. Um, You also told me that it's estimated that the parents of 1.7 million children in the U.S. are incarcerated Mm -hmm. in prison, 22,400 in Wisconsin, and 543 in Waukesha County alone. Again, that's... In Huber facility. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Well, for those kids, it's interesting that those kids, um, with incarceration, there's so much shame. Oh, And... They try to hide it, but to be in another group with another child who's going through the same thing is incredibly liberating. I, I bet, kids. yeah. And uh, so I guess the first thing that we try to do is we give them a space in which to tell their story, a safe mm. place. Okay. And um, depending upon what that story is, you can almost bet there's going to be another child that's gone through something similar. Yeah, and that whole feeling of that they're not alone right. that Jessica talked about in our first segment, mm-hmm. just letting kids know that they're not alone. In the next segment, we're going to hear how Healing Hearts is helping children who are abandoned or whose parents are divorced or separated. Take a guess at how many children were affected by divorce in Waukesha County alone in 2014. We'll be back in a moment to find out. 
Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG Community Connection with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to EIG Community Connection. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking with Chris Beck from Healing Hearts about some very difficult emotional heart issues. In the last segment, we're talking about ways that Healing Hearts helps children cope with loss from either death or incarceration. But what about divorce or separation or abandonment situations? I asked how many children were affected by divorce in Waukesha County in 2014. The answer is of the 1,083 divorces, 1,080 children under the age of 18 were affected. Now that Again, that statistic is just just staggering to me. How do you help kids in that situation, Chris? Well, the curriculum, we have an age-appropriate, activity-based curriculum. And what that means is, once again, kids are divided and sent into groups according to their age. And in Wonkasha, our program is on a 12-week schedule, so... Every night of those 12 weeks, there is a different topic that is discussed by the groups. And it's discussed by all the groups, but at different levels, as you might imagine, Mm -hmm. between the teenagers and the seven-year-olds or the Um, five-year-olds. So, for example, we have a night in which the kids talk about anger. And it's not just the kids who are talking about anger. It's the the parents, the grandparents, or the guardians who bring them as are well. they together talking about these things? No, or parents are separate. The parents from are the kids? separate. Uh, and what what I think um, you might find interesting too is siblings are separated. Um, okay. So, for example, uh, there may be two kids from the same family in which there's a divorce going on, but how each of those children approaches that divorce is really very unique, mm-hmm. and so we don't. We want to allow children to be able to express what's going on and not be stifled by the fact that their sibling might not view it the same way sure. that they do. Yeah. But anyway, to get to get back to the idea that, for example, so one night the topic will be anger. What makes you angry? How do you feel when you're angry? And more importantly, how can you get rid of that feeling in a positive way? <clears throat> what can you do to help you through this? And so the kids share ideas about what they do and how uh, in when they're they're angriest and who's an adult that you can talk to that you can share information with. Uh, and another night it might be worry. We find a lot with our kids they're anxious, sure. they're worried. Yeah. And so it's talking about worries and talking about trying to help kids understand worries that they can that are realistic versus worries that are unrealistic. Yeah, and I think we talk about when we think about our kids and they say they're stressed about all these things and we say what do you have to be stressed about? Yeah. You know, we it's so different. This generation is so different from our generation and the things that they have to worry about. Maybe some of the things that they worry about were similar when we were younger, but maybe not. Maybe there wasn't the awareness, but I just think all these other things that they have on their plates now that we just didn't either we didn't choose to recognize or just didn't deal with. 
but but my question is volunteers. So do you mm-hmm. have um, people in the in the mental health? Uh, Here's uh, on a on a Wednesday night in Waukesha, we run ten different support groups, and in each of those rooms are two adult facilitators. They are lar- they are all volunteer. They are largely retired school teachers. Oh, okay. A lot of people like me. So you fit in really well yes. there then. Yes. <laughs> uh, also from our supporting partners, we have uh, churches and organizations that support us. And by becoming aware as to what we are and what, how we help children and families, we've been able to get a lot of volunteers through that. And our volunteers are trained by a... Um, by a certified social worker, and they're given the curriculum that they follow. And so, um, yeah, so we we are dependent upon all of these volunteers, volunteers. helping okay. us out. Well, is there a cost no. to the program? There is no charge at all to the families. And, in fact, when they come to us in both our Waukesha or our Economic program, from 5.30 until 6 o'clock at night, they are offered a meal. So the facilitators and the participants, we sit down and we share a meal together. And then we go into group from 6 till 7.15. Okay. Now, do you have to live in Waukesha County to get help from Healing Hearts? Um, We have, uh, last fall, we had five families come to us from Milwaukee, the city of Milwaukee. Okay. Um, So we, families come to us from all over, from Jefferson County. uh, Most of them are from Waukesha County, but they're from McQuanago. They're from, uh, they could be from Menominee Falls. Um, uh, yeah, from all over. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. I thank you for, for what you do and for recognizing the need in the community uh, for, for healing hearts and for helping our children uh, to be able to deal with a devastating loss. Um, if somebody calls you either from a volunteer standpoint mm-hmm. or uh, from a crisis standpoint, can you elaborate a little bit on uh, how they would do that? Contact sure. information, websites? The The easiest way to get a hold of us is just to remember Healing Hearts of Waukesha County. If you type that into Google, you would come up on our website without any trouble whatsoever. Okay. If you uh, And once you go to the website, there are videos of uh, participants speaking. It, you will get a very strong sense of whether or not we're the right organization or the right place for you to come by taking a look at that website. Also on the website is registration uh, material so that you can fill it out and show up at the next meeting. And um, And for somebody who may want to volunteer, you said they have to go through a program? Yes. Uh, we, uh, We have two trainings a year, and that usually, now we'll have another training sometime in August, before uh, the fall session begins in Waukesha, we had a training session in January before our, our, our spring session of this year. So we tend to do two sessions a year. And on our website, again, we have the dates of the training sessions. Okay. And again, the website would give phone numbers and contact names and all exactly. that stuff. Okay. And it's Healing Hearts of Waukesha County. And it's co on county.org. 
All right. Wonderful. Thank you again so much for being here, Chris. Uh, I want to thank our other guests today, uh, Jessica Ozenbruge and Kirsten Gonzalez from the St. Joseph's Medical Clinic. And again, Chris Beck from Healing Hearts. And we've heard stories today of hope and inspiration, help and support. I really hope you found the information interesting and informative. Again, our purpose is education and sharing of resources. And what's important to remember is that everyone is able to make a difference in some way. It's just a matter of defining what you're passionate about and then find ways to use that passion and inspire others to do the same. If you'd like more information about the people or the organizations we talked with today, please email me at jill at ellenbecker.com or call our office at 262-691-3200. Also, I encourage you to tune into our Money Sense radio show on Saturdays and Sundays or visit our website at ellenbecker.com for the podcast from both of these radio shows. Join us again in two weeks as other inspiring guests share their stories of how they're making a difference in our community. Until then, remember, be a blessing and give a blessing. Enjoy your weekend.